You're listening to Wide Margins. This is episode 56, Memories. Jorge Luis Borges was a 20th century Argentine writer who liked to write short stories about dreams and labyrinths and infinity, and he liked to think about the mind as well, particularly memory. And one of his stories has been on my mind lately. I can't quit thinking about it. It's called Funes the Memorius, and it's about a young man named Ireneo Funes, who as a strange boy had the uncanny ability the uncanny ability of always knowing the time. He was like a human wristwatch. And at some point in his youth, he was involved in an accident where he was thrown off of a horse and sustained a head injury, which resulted in him being able to remember everything. His attention to detail was thrown into overdrive. He not only could remember every detail, he could remember the details as they changed through time. And so, some examples that were given was that he could remember the shapes of clouds at dawn on the 30th of April, 1882, and compare those with the marbled grain of a leather-bound book that he had seen only once, and he could compare these with the lines of spray that he had seen dripping off of a raised oar in a river on another separate occasion. He never forgot anything. And he saw the world that way. He saw the world very differently than the average person sees the world. We see a circle or a triangle or a square on a marker board. He saw in the same way the exact shape of the mane of a stallion in a moment of time as it galloped through a field or the variations of a flame burning in a fire. He saw these things and captured them photographically in his mind, moment by moment by moment. He said in the story, I have more memories in myself alone than all men have had since the world was a world. Imagine having that ability. At first you might think, well, that would be great to be able to remember everything. I could ace tests and never waste time looking for my car keys. I could have this knowledge of every book that I've read, never forget it, and compile that knowledge and be able to use it in the world. But in the story, it was not a blessing. It was a curse. Although Funes could remember everything, he couldn't use that information because he only saw the world in details and he was incapable of generalization. So, as Borges put it, he was incapable of thought. Uh, much of our thinking, especially the conclusions we draw that make that are applicable to real life, that make information useful, much of that is done through generalization, either through induction, where we think from specific to general, or from deduction, where we think from general to specific. Uh, those methods of thinking require abstraction, imagination, require us to categorize and generalize, and this was ability that an ability that Funes lacked and didn't have. And as a result, his amazing ability was co completely wasted. Not only that, but, but he was an insomniac. He couldn't sleep because as he lay down, his mind wouldn't rest, but it would go over 
detail after detail after detail, and the only way that he was able to fall asleep was to lie quietly in a dark room and imagine houses that he had not yet seen, which to his mind were still black and oblique and obscure. And sometimes he would imagine himself at the bottom of a river that he had not seen, where he was rocked and, as the author says, annihilated by the current. I think he lived only 19 years and died of a respiratory infection, not going out of the house, trying not to see new things for fear that he would remember and lock into his mind every single detail. It would be a curse to be able to remember everything. Some have thought that Borges got the idea of the story from a real example that he had met in life, and we have discovered people who have this uncanny ability to remember things, although it's not exactly like Funes in the story by Borges. Uh, a friend of mine recently visited a place for people with uh, mental disabilities and challenges, and uh, he was visiting that home, and he met this one young man who asked him what his birthday was. And he told him the exact date of his birthday, and uh, the young man said, uh, that was a Tuesday. And he had to go back and look it up, and sure enough, he had been born on a Tuesday. Somehow, this guy had this ability to lock in his mind at least the day of the week with the exact date on the calendar. And maybe he could remember even more details than that. And studies have shown that there are people in the world that have this. It's a condition with a name. And the name of the condition is HSAM, or Highly Superior Autobiographical Memory. It's not that they can just remember everything that happened in history on every particular day. They remember subjectively experiences and impressions and observations and things that they saw in their lives on each particular day. And studies have shown that they do this somehow by bringing together both halves of their brain and experiencing things with both halves of their brain in ways that normal people cannot. And they actually see each day as an image or as an emotional impression. So it's it's very autobiographical. It's, it's not really something they can use in history class or something like that, unless they're able to use their subjective experiences to lock those things into their mind. But they can do some amazing things. You ask them what happened on November the 12th, uh, 2006, and they can tell you exactly what happened on that date. And you can go on YouTube and see examples of people like that. It's really quite amazing. Uh, but it also is hard for them. Uh, they can't forget things. Uh, there's a lot of things in life that we would like to lock into our memories, and then there are a lot of things that we would really like to forget. And thankfully, a lot of those things we have been able to forget, but these folks are unable to do that. Uh, we have about 70,000 thoughts per day, which comes out to about one quadrillion pieces of information over the course of a lifetime. And most people forget most of that stuff. The average person recognizes 
about 5,000 faces at a time and can remember about 11, 10 or 11 events for every year of their life from the age of about 10. But these folks that I'm talking about remember everything and it's locked into their minds and they can retrieve it at will. You look at that and you think, well, that's really unusual. Those people have different brains, but their brains have been studied and neuroscientists cannot find anything really physically different about their brain than the average person's brain. So it makes you wonder, what is the potential of the human brain to remember? And do these examples, and does the example in Borges' story clue us into the true potential locked into every one of our brains? It's something to really think about. Socrates was a 5th century philosopher regarded as one of the founders of Western philosophy and by many as the first moral philosopher. He was the teacher of Plato, and we know him only through Plato's writings. Socrates was not one to write things down. In fact, he had a problem with writing things down. He believed that everything should be going on in your mind and that teaching should be oral and not delivered through written language. He is famous for the Socratic method, which is teaching through questions. And one of the reasons that he developed that teaching method is this idea that he had, which is expressed in his statement that all learning is remembering. And what he meant by that is he believed that souls were eternal and that they were simply reincarnated at birth. And so every soul had this innate knowledge locked into its mind that was awakened through the learning process. I, I found that, you know, a lot of people have this idea, uh, they express it in different fairy tales and legends. Uh, the idea of a stork bringing a baby from heaven, for example, is kind of the same thing. I mean, it's the idea that babies exist in some form prior to birth and they're brought into the world from a pre-existence. And I also remember this scene from an old movie I enjoy called uh, Key Largo with Humphrey Bogart. Uh, in, the, in the movie, Bogart is talking to a child and he repeats this fairy tale that he had heard about the, the little indentation on the upper lip. He said that that came from an angel because before birth, a soul knows all the secrets. And then when a baby is born, an angel comes and presses that indentation on the upper lip so that the baby is unable to impart the secret wisdom that it had before it came into the world. These ideas are a little similar to Socrates' idea of innate knowledge or wisdom, that it's locked in there, that we exist before life, and we come into this world with the potential of unleashing all of that, but it has to come out through learning. Plato expresses this theory of Socrates in his dialogue between Socrates and another philosopher named Minow. And uh, Minow makes this argument that you can't really learn anything because how do you search for something 
when you don't know what it is. If you find it, how do you recognize it when you see it? And if you recognize it when you see it, didn't you already know it anyway? Socrates' response to this was that we already have the knowledge in our minds so we can recognize it as we learn it because the soul being eternal is just reincarnated from life to life to life. Uh, Now, that's not exactly the truth. It's not anywhere close to the truth, really. It's more exact to say that souls are immortal, not eternal. Eternal would suggest there's no beginning or end, but the Bible teaches very clearly that souls do have a beginning point, not an ending point. Um, Psalm 139, for example, is the psalm that teaches that God knits us within our mother's womb, that he creates us at conception, which means the creation of both the soul and the body, and we're born and at death. James says in James chapter 2, verse 26, that the body and the spirit are separated temporarily from one another, and uh, the body does decompose, but the spirit lives on. And then at the resurrection, the body and soul are rejoined together for the righteous in a glorious way so that they have a new spiritual body, not subject to decay and corruption and death any longer. That's very different from Socrates' theory here. But it's interesting that Socrates had this idea about memory that all of learning, all education is simply about remembering, not really technically learning anything new. So the question is, do we forget anything? And how does memory work? How do we remember things, and why is it that we seem to forget things? There have been some interesting studies. In 1958, Harvard conducted a study led by Roger Shepard in which uh, participants in the study were shown 600 pictures of just average everyday objects like a wagon or a, a microscope or a rake or a blade of grass. And then after they were shown these pictures... They were asked to look at them paired up with pictures they'd never seen before, and they were asked to identify the one that they had seen before. And the study showed a marvelous ability to remember things. Most of the participants remembered 98% of the pictures that they'd been shown. And they didn't just remember them, they remembered amazing details about them. A similar study published later in 2008 at MIT by Timothy Brady, uh, had the participants look at 3,000 pictures of common objects. And like in the previous study, these were showed two objects at a time, one they had seen before, one they had never seen, and they were asked, which one have you seen? And in that study, they were able to remember 90% of them, still really quite amazing, And it shows that our long-term memory is a lot better than most of us think that it is. Uh, Of course, this is passive recollection, which I'll get to in just a moment. Uh, But it shows that we remember a lot of detail, and it's locked into our minds. Um, And I think that's a pretty important discovery. Think about your concept of a table, for example. 
most of us think that we know what a table is because we've generalized all the tables that we've seen in our lives into this archetypal table and so when we see a table we recognize it because we learned that abstract idea of a table uh, by putting all the tables we've seen together and we don't really remember each and every table that we've seen but these studies have shown otherwise they've shown that we actually do remember each individual table and we compare new tables that we see not with this abstract archetypal table that we've compiled together patched together from all tables but from all the other individual tables that we still have locked into our memories we have quite amazing memories no matter what we say about it now maybe part of our problem is we put all our memory together when in reality there are two basic kinds of memory there's your short-term memory which is your working memory that temporary temporarily holds things that we're currently working on and then there's your long-term memory which stores massive amounts of information from a lifetime of thoughts and experiences and that's where we lock things in in the long-term memory and a lot of us struggle with that long-term memory we get frustrated with it and we wonder why do we forget things and why do I have trouble remembering things and there are two theories on it although we really haven't discovered the answer to this question and theories are that it may be a problem with retrieval that it's in there but when we want to remember something we can't seem to do it that's why we all make the joke of well I can't remember what I'm trying to tell you right now but as soon as I get in the car to go home it'll pop into my mind or when I lie down to go to sleep that's when I'll remember that piece of information so it's in there it's just a retrieval problem and of course the other theory is that we literally do lose that information that is erased or mind wiped from our minds and it's no longer with us anymore many things suggest that the inability to remember is more of a retrieval problem than an erasure problem for example a lot of memories are able to be unlocked through hypnosis and people are put into a hypnotic state and suddenly they can remember details about things that have been repressed or locked away for one reason or another and I don't know if you've ever had this experience but I feel that I've had dreams in which I recall things from my past in amazing detail like the way someone looked or what somebody's name was that I never could have remembered in a conscious state now I kinda was wondering about that the other day and I was wondering did I actually remember it or was I dreaming that I remembered it it's not the same thing but anyway there's a lot of evidence to show that we remember a lot more than we think we do and it's possible that locked in there is every experience and thought that we have ever had scientists are still working on this and maybe one day we'll know for sure one of my favorite Radiohead songs begins when I'm at the pearly gates this will be on my videotape and I've always thought that was about judgment or something like that and thought it had to do with this idea that I've always had that all of our secrets and memories and 
experiences and decisions and choices and deeds will come out on Judgment Day. As I looked at the lyrics a little more closely as I was preparing this episode, I realized it's really about some guy who's dying who makes a videotape that uh, has a message on it to his family or whatever that will be watched after he passes away. Uh, Pretty depressing. But anyway, it still kind of reflects this idea that I believe is expressed in several scriptures. First of all, there's Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14, the last verse of the book of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon says, God will bring every secret, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. It's reflected in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, which says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Also, in the book of Revelation, there's a picture of the judgment throne of God, and all are standing before God, the great and the small, no matter how they lived, everyone This great throng is gathered before the judge at the last day. And it is said that books are open, books in the plural. And one of those books is named the Book of Life, which is a roll book of all the names of the redeemed. But other books that are included, when you put this together with other passages like Ecclesiastes 12.14 and Romans 14.12 and 2 Corinthians 5.10, Another book possibly is the record of all the things that we have done, or this memory that we've been talking about. Another amazing statement is made by Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, which, in which he says, Every idle word will be remembered on Judgment Day. Every word that you've spoken. It's a really frightening idea because all of us have said things that we would like to forget and we'd like other people to forget, especially God. It's not just the bad things that will be remembered. The good things will be remembered as well. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, after a long discussion of the resurrection, uh, Paul assures his readers that their labor is not in vain in the Lord, which means you know they may not get recognized for the good that they're doing now, but there will be a reward for that, and they will see, more importantly, at the end, that all of the way... All of their lives, the way they chose to live them in the Lord, was worth it. That it was headed to a great conclusion after all. And very similar to that is Revelation chapter 14, 13, which says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. So our deeds somehow will follow us. Not in actuality, but in remembrance. And I, I just wonder, is this a clue to Judgment Day? This idea about memory being locked in. Uh, is there some way that God will unlock the filing system of our minds and bring out all of these thoughts and experiences and secrets and sins and righteous deeds and faith and redemption and and bring all of that out 
in the book, as he says, in that symbol in Revelation 20, when it's our time to face him in judgment. I just wonder, and I also wonder if this is a clue about what hell is, because I think probably the worst kind of hell would be being forced to recollect all of those things that we'd like to take back and all of the the sin and the shame and to relive that over and over and over again. I don't know. It's really frightening to think about the possibility that our memories could be retained because there's so much that we'd like to forget. The hope of the gospel has the promise of forgetting. And I'm thinking specifically about Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, where the new covenant is talked about, and that prophecy of Jeremiah is remembered and spoken, which ends, according to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, like this, I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. The promise of God in the new covenant, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, God can do that in all righteousness, erase the memory of our sin from his mind. Now, we know that God is omniscient, and so by his very nature, it is impossible for him to forget anything, to learn in any way, to grow in his wisdom. He has always known all. Before there was a beginning, he has always known all things, and he always will know all things. And so I think it's a mistake to read this literally. What he, what he means to say is that he will treat us as if he has forgotten. It will be as if he has literally wiped his mind of all memory of the wrongs that we have committed, and all this because of the grace of the gospel. And if that is true, then it makes all the difference in our lives. This grace of forgetting Borges, in the story that I started this episode with, said, We all live by leaving behind. And that was the problem with his character, Funes. He couldn't leave stuff behind. He couldn't possibly do it uh, because it was always coming back in his perfect memory. One person we all think about when we think of living by leaving behind is the Apostle Paul. He had a past that he really wanted to forget. He was, at one time, a persecutor of Christians. There's evidence that he threw men and women into prison, that he separated parents from their children, maybe even murdered uh, people for being believers in Jesus Christ. At the very least, we know that he was holding the coats and approving of the people who stoned Stephen the Evangelist to death in Acts chapter 7. He was a really bad person in his past. Even though he was living according to his conscience, he did some terrible things. And he became a Christian and became the person, the kind of person that at one time he sought the life of. How did he go on? How did he continue? How did he find joy and do so much? How did he learn contentment? Well, he gives that secret in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, where he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul could only do that, though, 
because of the promise of the new covenant, the promise of God through the gospel, that because his son paid for our sins, he can forget them and wipe them from his mind to remove them from our record as far as the east is from the west, as the psalm beautifully puts it. And because of that promise, we can live in that, in that same way. We can live forgetting what lies behind, and we can move on. We can move forward. And that's really what God's will is for our lives, not to dwell in the past and reflect on every memory and fear a judgment day when the videotape will be replayed scene by awful scene, But what God really wants for us is a healthy spiritual forgetting to where we put our past in the past where it belongs and we move forward with great and beautiful hope. What this, I hope, gets us thinking about is what we do now matters forever. And it matters in one of two ways, either in the shame of of Judgment Day, or in the grace of God's forgetting. That's something to remember. Let's think about that till the next time we get together on Wide Margins.